that is causing the source. We don't know how the mechanism behind that. I've heard some interesting stories about the gentleman who developed the computer chip originally that is being used uh, to uh, to tag uh, animals and uh, even people now, right, being slipped under the skin. And they spent a lot of money developing the power system, a lithium uh, battery, that they said if it did fail, somehow it could produce some kind of a, a sore or sores on the body. We don't know if the angel pours out this judgment and somehow, uh, and I, I think it's going to be a computer chip that the mark is going to be all about, slipped under the forehead or be on the right hand under the skin and uh, the angel could pour this out that it seems like only the people that have this mark are affected believers aren't affected possibly one commentator said maybe not even the animals are affected only those who have this mark why because somehow maybe god causes the chip to go bad and it begins to poison the systems of the people that have it i don't know uh, how, how righteous is that? The very thing that people have taken to identify themselves with the Antichrist is the very thing that God uses to bring the judgment upon them. Well, the second bowl is poured out, verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, this judgment is similar to the first plague that was poured out on Egypt in Exodus chapter 7 and is similar to the seventh or the second trumpet judgment in Revelation chapter 8. Again, though, the difference is this judgment is not going to be local as it was uh, in Moses' day on Egypt, or it's not going to be limited like it was during the second trumpet in Revelation 8. This is going to be a worldwide judgment on all the oceans and saltwater seas of the earth. And since 70% of the earth is covered by salt water, uh, it's going to affect the whole world. It's going to affect the whole world. After the angel dumped the contents of this bowl on the oceans and seas, uh, it says the oceans and seas became like the blood, or became blood, I should say, not like, became blood like that of a dead man. One commentator said, To the amazement, horror, and despair of the world, the oceans will no longer be fluid, but will become thick, dark, and coagulated, like the pool of blood from someone who has been stabbed to death. Sounds lovely. And exactly what supernatural means God is going to use to destroy the oceans is not revealed. One commentator said, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but he said that this resembles a phenomenon known as what's called red tide. All right, let me read it to you. Uh, from time to time off the coast of California and elsewhere, a phenomenon known as red tide occurs. These red tides kill millions of fish and poison those who eat contaminated shellfish. In 1949, one of these red tides hit the coast of Florida. First, the water turned yellow, but by midsummer, it was thick and viscous with countless billions of dinoflagellates, tiny one-celled organisms, 60 miles in length of stinking fish fouled the beaches. Much marine life was wiped out. Even bait used by fishermen died on the hooks. Eventually, the red tide subsided, only to appear again the following year. Eating fish contaminated by the red tide produced severe symptoms caused by a potent nerve poison 
a few grams of which distributed aright could easily kill everyone in the world. An unchecked population explosion of toxic, toxic dinoflagellates could kill all the fish in the sea, end quote. And maybe that's what God is going to do. We don't know. We know that the stench from the dead, decaying sea life, the sea creatures living in the sea, is going to be unimaginable. I mean, we saw a partial judgment like this uh, during the second trumpet judgment, but it only affected, I think, a third of the seas. This is going to affect every saltwater body on the face of the earth. Henry Morris, who has written an excellent commentary on Revelation. Henry, he's with the Lord now, was also a scientist, so he brought that unique scientific perspective to these kind of uh, judgments. He said, in this toxic ocean, nothing can survive. And soon all the billions of fishes and marine mammals and marine reptiles and the innumerable varieties of marine invertebrates will perish, thus still further poisoning the oceans and contaminating the seashores of the world. The oceans will have effectively completed their age-long function in the Earth's physical ecology and will die. As God had created every living soul in the waters, Genesis chapter 1, verse 21 tells us, so now every living soul died in the sea, end quote. Now, in America, we have plenty of choices for food. We don't depend on the seas completely for our food supply. Uh, much of the world does. Much of the world uh, relies on the saltwater oceans and seas of the world for their major food supply. So if everything in the sea, everything in the ocean and the seas die, it's going to hit the food supply worldwide very hard, creating worldwide famine. Also, something else you might realize, we talked about this uh, in Chapter 8, but uh, from what I understand, 80% of the world's oxygen does not come from the rainforest. It comes from photoplankton and algae in the oceans and seas of the earth. 80%. Which means if everything in the seas die, that means all the plankton and algae are going to die, and that means that the oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere is going to be cut by 80%, making it very difficult to, to breathe. This is why I say these judgments cannot be stretched out over a long period of time. They have to come in rapid-fire succession because, as Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would remain alive upon the Earth. So we're coming to the end here. This is the final crescendo of God's judgments. And they're not stretched out. They come bam, 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 right one after another. Because if God spread them out too far, nobody would survive. And Jesus, of course, will come back in time to rescue those who are still living and to cast into Hades those who are alive who have rebelled against him. I mean, those who are living who have become Christians. Uh, there will be many who will escape the wrath of the Antichrist, hiding out, you know, and... And they, they, they will make it. Now we'll, we'll look at that when we get to chapter 19. Uh, that brings us to the third bowl judgment, verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now, man could have, I think, you know, obviously man could have uh, dealt with the oceans becoming um, unusable for food and all. But um, as long as man had fresh water, he could have survived. But now this judgment is poured out on the rivers and springs, which is man's freshwater supply. This is similar to what happened in the Nile 
during you know the plagues that God poured out through Moses. Uh, but that was limited, of course, to the Nile. This is going to be a worldwide judgment. One commentator said, the contamination of the world's oceans will be an environmentalist's worst nightmare. But the destruction of the world's remaining fresh water supply will be absolutely catastrophic. It'll be a staggering blow to fallen humanity, end quote. I mean, by the time the third bowl judgment is poured out, fresh water is already going to be in short supply. I mean, we've already by this time saw the third judgment, the uh, third trumpet judgment in chapter 8, poison one-third of the world's fresh water, all right? Additionally, remember the two witnesses who conduct their ministry in the first half of the seven-year period. They are going to shut the heavens up so it doesn't rain for three and a half years. And then they're going to be striking fresh water and turning it to blood. Not worldwide, but, you know, all of that's going to be cutting down on the fresh water available on the earth. In chapter 7, we read about four angels who stop the winds from blowing. If you stop the winds from blowing, you stop climates around the world because weather patterns depend on winds moving clouds around the globe, which causes evaporation of, of the uh, uh, ocean's waters and seas and bringing it over dry land where it cools and rain falls. You mess with the wind and you stop the hydrological cycle so that no rain falls. If you combine all this together, I'm not sure how much fresh water is left by the time we come to the third bowl. But whatever's left, that's going to be wiped out as well. It's going to bring unthinkable hardship to those who are left upon the earth. Now, at this point, I'm sure some people, as they're reading this, you know, it's so unimaginably horrible. I cannot help but some people are wondering, how can a God of love and compassion put people through things like this? I mean, it's unthinkable that a God of love could even do this to people. Well, about that point, God give us a little interlude, you know, just a moment to kind of catch our breath. And one of the angels who pours out this judgment, well, he speaks in God's defense. In fact, he almost sounds surprised. It's almost like he's got this bowl that was given to him by God, filled with God's wrath, and he pours it out. And as he pours it out, really not understanding what's going to happen, as he sees that all the fresh water has been turned to blood, it's like he looks at it and goes, right on, God. Wow, is that awesome, Lord. Like, he's surprised at what happened. But he said in verse 5, John said, I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their due. Right on, Lord. Wow, are you righteous in all your doings. Verse 7, I heard another angel from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Hey, look, it is completely fitting that those who delighted in shedding the blood of God's saints and prophets are now forced to drink blood. They have refused the living water, and now they are given the waters of death. And even in the midst of the judgment, the angel declares, Lord, you are righteous. I mean, God, you are fair. Uh, God is pure. He's, what he does is, you know, here's the thing. 
God is absolutely just, right? When he judges sin. You know what, though? I don't want God's justice. I want mercy. I don't know about you. Isn't it interesting how that we want God's justice when it comes to other people when they've they've wronged us? But when it comes to us, we don't pray, God, give me justice. We pray, God, give me mercy. If God gave us all justice, you know what we'll be spending eternity? In hell. And God is a merciful God. Do you realize that God delights to show mercy and only judges as a very last resort? Our God delights in showing mercy. He does not want to bring judgment. Even to wayward Israel. Remember in Ezekiel, he cried out, please repent. I mean, I don't get any pleasure out of sending anyone to hell. I don't want to have to judge you. Please turn from your sins and come to me. I'll forgive you. I'm merciful, God said. I delight in showing mercy. But if people refuse the mercy of God, if they refuse to repent, then God at one point has no choice left but to judge them. And it isn't God's fault that people get judged. It's because they themselves refuse to repent. I mean, God is not a hothead who flies off the handle and just shoots the lightning bolts from heaven to wipe us all out because he just lost it. This anger has been building over the centuries towards man's rebellion. And God sent prophet after prophet, even his own dear son, And people kept killing the prophets, and they crucified our our Savior. And now God's sending witnesses and 144,000 evangelists and angels from heaven, and they have rejected all of it. What's left? See, man doesn't comprehend that God is a righteous God who takes sin seriously. But because he's so merciful and because he's so long-suffering, waiting for people to repent, a lot of people think God doesn't really care about sin. You know, you you fundamentalists, you born-agains. You're all down on sin. God's loving. God's merciful. He is. Peter says he is very long-suffering and patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But those who reject, God will judge. He has to. When he does, though, let no one say God is unjust. God is always just when he judges. In Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham asked, rhetorically, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly or do what's right? And Abraham knew the answer to that question. That's why it was rhetorical. Lord, are you going to punish the righteous with the wicked? Are you going to send those angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to wipe everybody out? What if there's 40 righteous? I'll spare the city for the 40. What if there's 30 right? I'll spare for the 30. What about 20? I'll spare for the 20. Uh, How about 10? I'll spare for the 10. God will not punish the righteous with the wicked. There wasn't even ten righteous, only Lot. And yet when the angels came to, to Sodom and Gomorrah and they approached Lot, they said, look, you got to get out of here. Get your family, get out right now. We can't do anything until you leave. Because God will not punish the righteous with the wicked. God, our God is so kind and merciful. But he is righteous. David wrote in Psalm 19, verse 9, The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Psalm 119, verse 75, the psalmist said, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous. And Paul wrote in Romans 2, verse 5, the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Paul said it's coming. I like what J. Vernon McGee said. I love J. Vernon McGee. If you don't have his commentaries, you know, can I encourage you to get them? 
I love him because he, he was one of those old-time preachers who just said it like it was. He didn't beat around the bush. He wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. He just wanted to just, whatever God said, J. Vernon preached. And, and here's what he said on this little section. He said, my friend, whatever God does is righteous and holy. If you don't agree with him, it is too bad. <laughs> you are wrong, not God. Imagine a little man standing up and saying concerning the Creator, I don't think he's doing right. I have a question for that person who would make a statement like that. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> in fact, what can you do about it? If you are not in agreement with God, you had better get in agreement with Him. God is righteous and everything He does is righteous, end quote. Amen, right? I mean, that's, that's called preaching it, okay? <laughs> That's called saying it like it is. You know, people want to shake their little self-righteous fist at God and, and accuse God of wrongdoing. Who in the world do people think they are? The arrogance and blasphemy. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. The fourth bowl, verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him, to the sun, to scorch men with fire. Again, the sun is personified, okay? Um, did you realize the, that the worship of the sun is the oldest form of idolatry in the world? In fact, all other forms of paganism derive from that one practice. Do you know it goes all the way back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel? Nimrod, without getting too deeply into him, Nimrod was basically the first cult leader on the face of the earth. He was the first rebel against God, spiritually speaking. And one of the things that Nimrod led was a sun worship cult. And so the Tower of Babel was built to worship not just the sun, but the stars and the moon as well. But the sun was the top deity that the Tower of Babel was erected to actually worship. And they would climb this thing, or they were going to. God didn't let it be completed. But they were going to climb this thing to worship the sun and the moon and the stars. This was all done in the plains of Shinar, modern-day Iraq. The Tower of Babel became Babylon. It's interesting how that area of the world, the Fertile Crescent, the cradle of civilization, um, it started there, and folks, it's going to pretty much wind up there. Man's rebellion started there in the plains of Shinar, and God is going to judge those who rebel against him in that area of the world. Um, but just from a practical standpoint, uh, all earthly life depends on the light of the sun. And um, in previous judgment, we saw that part of the sun was dimmed a third of the day. It didn't give its light for a third of the day. Revelation 8, verse 12. Now we see that the... Uh, Heat of the sun is increased. Now, we don't know if this is just plain supernatural or if God is using supernatural powers to cause a natural phenomenon to take place. One author said this could be referring to a supernova, the stage directly preceding the death of a star, where the star becomes intensely hot, then it goes from intensely hot to then it burns out altogether. So before a star burns out, it gets very hot, it just flares up, and then it just goes out. Could this be what's happening? I don't know. 
Um, but this author said, be that as it may, because men turn their backs on the sun, capital S-O-N, they will experience the burning of the sun, S-U-N. Have any of you ever spent time out in the desert in the summertime? Boy, does that sound brutal, isn't it? You know how you thirst? If you don't have water with you, you're in trouble. Okay, unless you can find some water source. Can you imagine this incredible heat coupled with the fact there's no fresh water to drink? How horrible that's going to be for the people of the earth? To be that hot, scorched, and yet not be able to quench your thirst? But isn't that a little preview of hell? Remember the man in Hades? The rich man who lived sumptuously on the earth and cared not for his fellow man, did not believe in God? And Lazarus, a diseased beggar who was placed by his gate every day, hoping to eat some of the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, and the rich man gave him nothing. And in the course of time, Lazarus died and was taken by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And in the course of time, the rich man died. And he was taken and put into the other part of Hades, the torment part. And he, lifting up his eyes, right, saw Lazarus afar off, being comforted by Abraham. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.